The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you ever stopped to think that the best and worst place to live is in your mind? Think about it. We can create our own destiny or our own downfall. It all has to do with the way that we choose to think and see things. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, with your host, Dr. Paula Joyce. Dr. Paula is here with her guest experts to show you just how to change that negative way of thinking and see your world in a positive light. Now, here is Dr. Paula. Welcome, and thank you for joining us again. We're going to begin by talking about some of the ideas that were presented last week, and Dr. Larry Dossi got us off to a fabulous start. And so we're going to begin by amplifying some of those ideas, and then we'll move into the topic of the day, which is the labyrinth. And uh, at the end of this first segment, I will introduce the Reverend Dr. Lauren Artris, who is going to join us after the break. Um, last week, Dr. Larry Dossi talked with us about his concept that we are all connected through what he calls one mind. And there are lots of ways that one can talk about one mind or language that we can use. Some people use God, some people use Allah, Buddha, um, goddess, uh, energy, the universe, one's soul, one's limitless self, our inner wisdom. Whatever terminology, it's an energy field that surrounds all of us and where we are all connected, where we are all one mind. We discover ourselves as limitless beings in this space of one mind who are never alone and and where we are always loved. This awareness helps us become more compassionate because through that connection, we are part of each other. So how I treat you reflects back to me. I experience the way I treat you. So it matters in, at a very deep level how we talk to each other, the words we use when we're speaking about people and and things, the actions that we take, and even our thoughts can be heard even if we're not aware of it. One listener, Susan from Dallas, who was trying to understand this concept, sent the following email. A lot of countries have come together to give their time and resources to help find the missing Malaysian plane. Is this an example of the one mind and how we are all 
connected. And I think she's exactly right that, yes, this is a perfect example. We all feel compassion for the missing passengers and their families. As human beings, we feel their fear and their grief, and our hearts go out to them. We're good at coming together in times of tragedy like this and also 9-11. Then there was an outpouring that was felt worldwide. Um, we all mourned together. We, we created fear together, unfortunately. But it was also a time of healing. Then... When the crisis passed, we lost sight of that connectedness, and our differences and conflicts again took center stage. As an individual, there isn't much that I can do about how nations treat each other, but I can make a difference in how I treat others. Do I smile at strangers when our eyes meet, or do I scowl at them? Do I say thank you when someone hands me a cup of coffee, or do I take it for granted? One example of this, how our thoughts affect others, was um, related by Dr. Dossi in his book, One Mind. And he talked about a professor who was depressed because there were people in his department who didn't want him to continue in his position. At one point, he was getting better, and then his therapist noticed that he was going downhill, so they hospitalized him. Later, they realized that the timing of his need to be hospitalized was immediately after the group who wanted to oust him were having secret meetings in order to figure out how to get rid of him. He picked up on those thoughts, on the negative energy, on the words that people were using and the actions that they were taking to harm him. There was another example. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a hospital in Chicago that received an award because of the way, the, the positive way that they were treating their employees. One of the ways that the hospital administration had improved its employee practices was by providing hot coffee to the men who were parking cars on icy cold winter days. And any of you who have been to Chicago in the winter know how cold that is. So the men who were parking the cars reported that it changed their behavior toward their families at the end of a long day when they went home because they had been treated with kindness. They were kinder to their families. They felt better inside and so they treated others better. One man even reported, I stopped beating my wife. Take that in for a second. How we treat others has a huge impact. It's like a snowball that gets rolling and moves from where we are out to where we never see the results. Daniel Goleman, in his book, Social Intelligence, reported a study that documented that the people who walk through a busy lobby 
when someone was displaying angry behavior were more likely to get sick within a week than people walking through the same lobby when it was peaceful. Now remember, these weren't people who were the target of this anger. They were just in the same room as the angry person. And they picked up enough negative energy that it literally physically made them sick. Can you imagine what it's like if you have an angry boss or an angry spouse? How does that affect your life on an ongoing basis, your physical, emotional, and mental health? We are them and they are us. How we act toward others and in the presence of others makes a difference. So how do we release these negative emotions so that we don't hurt others? One way is by turning the anger into righteous indignation and into action rather than letting it sit and simmer or stuffing it down because we shouldn't be angry. But sometimes things happen and we're human and we feel anger. So there are different ways to respond. We can stuff it down, we can turn it against other people, or we can turn it into something good. A friend of mine, an example of this, is a friend of mine who recently had her store broken into and robbed of half of her merchandise. This is a huge thing, obviously. it's They broke <clears throat> the store window so that they could get in and then broke the door to get out. So there are damages and there are financial consequences, even when you have insurance, to losing half of your merchandise. And then it's all the time of documenting and reporting and waiting for the insurance company to pay you back. So yes, that would conjure up anger and fear. What she did was to join a group of merchants in her particular area to put pressure on the police department to do more to protect the people who had stores in that area. She took a negative situation and turned it into a positive. The labyrinth is another place where we can take these negative emotions, negative experiences, unpleasant feelings, and release them without causing harm to ourselves or anybody else. Because if we keep the anger inside, we hurt ourselves physically, emotionally, and mentally. If we send it out by yelling at others, then that creates that snowball effect where we continue the negativity and create more harm. An example of how this is used is in Tucson, 
um, Arizona, where there's a healing facility, a treatment center called Sierra Tucson, and they treat um, mood disorders, addictions, trauma, pain, and brain injuries. And one of the tools that they use is a labyrinth where the people who are there dealing with serious difficulties are able to access the labyrinth, to walk it, to use it to release the physical, emotional, and mental pain in a relatively easy, productive, meaningful way where they don't harm themselves or others. When I was uh, leaving the workplace, I and I had worked uh, virtually my entire life and decided that I wanted to create my own business. But this was major to switch from going to a workplace every day to working uh, for myself. And I used the labyrinth on my way home every Friday. I would stop at those of you who live in Dallas at the Episcopal Church of the Transfiguration and would walk their labyrinth because they had their doors open to the public. And once a week to release the fears, the um, experience, the to manage the change because even when change is good for us, it's also challenging. And it was extremely helpful to me. Which brings us to our guest today, who I'd like to introduce you to now. And then we'll take a break and she'll come back and talk with us. We're very fortunate to have the woman who literally uncovered the labyrinth and continues to spread the word about it. The Reverend Dr. Lauren Artris is the author of several books, including Walking a Sacred Path, Rediscovering the Labyrinth as a Spiritual Practice. She serves as a canon at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco and is founder of a nonprofit organization dedicated to introducing people to the healing meditative powers of the labyrinth. She travels worldwide, offering workshops on the labyrinth, including a yearly program in Chartres, France. In addition to being an Episcopal priest, she is a spiritual director and licensed marriage and family therapist. We look forward to hearing from Dr. Lauren Artris after the break. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. 
Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? If you're searching for the answers to these and other spiritual questions, you can look within. And you can tune into The Open Door. Our program will expand your awareness of the teachings of the Ascended Masters, offer you practical tools that promote self-mastery and personal freedom, and provide an unerring pathway for graduating from Earth Schoolroom. The Open Door with hosts Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy is broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. And here we are back with Reverend Dr. Lauren Artris to talk with us about the labyrinth. Welcome. I'm going to begin by saying what a treat it is for me to have you here because the labyrinth has been very special to me in my life in helping me hear my own voice to quiet all the voices that tell told me what I should and shouldn't do and shouldn't shouldn't be and shouldn't shouldn't think. <laughs> and I went to two of your retreats, um, which were very meaningful, one in Wisconsin, and then I went to Chart France for a week with you. Well, so was, I'm thrilled was, to have you. Well thank you. That was great. And I'm I'm delighted that you experienced our, our program in Chart because that really is the the kind of crown jewel of uh, of our work in the world because that's the original uh, pattern that we're using is is in Chartres Cathedral, and uh, yes, it, you're right. It's been hidden for really centuries under chairs. Uh, it's kind of became forgotten, and then uh, in 1991, removing the chairs that changed my life as well. 
And I, I'd like you to talk with us a, a little. Uh, thank you for explaining what I meant by uncovering um, the labyrinth, because I love that story. Um, and and why it was covered up. Would you um, share that with us? Sure. And, and Paula, it might be important to say, just to the etch uh, the image of the labyrinth in people's minds who maybe don't know quite what we're talking about, that the labyrinth is a pattern. Uh, it's a, in Chart Cathedral. It's a 42-foot circle, and it has a one path that leads from the outer edge in a very circuitous way. It leads to center, um, and so it's not a maze. That's always a confusion that needs to be explained. That a maze is designed for you to lose your way, and a labyrinth is designed for you to find your way. Uh, literally. Um, the labyrinth in, in Chart Cathedral, as I mentioned, it was inlaid in the floor in 1201. And, uh, you know, with the changes in the times and the Enlightenment and the Renaissance and the, you know, the Middle Ages fading and us moving into a whole other time where we prized individual rights and, and human enlightenment and empirical science and the linear world and, you know, literally the invisible world disappeared. And the labyrinth was associated with uh, the kind of medieval thinking and all, and just eventually uh, was put under chairs, probably around the time of the French Revolution, uh, the, when the aristocracy lost power and the everyday person gained power. They wanted to sit down um, during services, and also the whole cathedral was changed into what was called the Temple of Reason. Um, so there was a lot of history there, and and the labyrinth has been a real keyhole for me to see in the history. Uh, but what we did was we lost a wonderful, deep, intuitive tool uh, during that time, and that's what my work has been is to reclaim that. And, and you've helped so many. I, I know that they're all over the world now as a result of your work. And in their, they're in secular settings, they're in hospitals, they're in religious institutions, they're in public places, some outdoors, some indoors, so that people have access to right. it. And I just want to add my humorous story to what you were saying about what people picture. I, the first time I went to walk the labyrinth, it took me 15 minutes to find it. And I kept getting directions from people and they kept leading me to the same spot and I could not find the labyrinth. And finally, I said to somebody, please walk me to it because <clears throat> I am having great difficulty here. And I was literally standing on it and did not see it, did not know it was there, which, of course, was a wonderful metaphor for where I was in my life at that moment. That's right. That's great. Well, that labyrinth at Church of Transfiguration was actually, it's a beautiful red terrazzo uh, labyrinth, if I remember right. And uh, that was the first one, permanent one, put indoors. Uh, we put a permanent one outdoors at Grace Cathedral first. And then later in 20, uh, 2007, we put uh, it in limestone and marble. But so, the, yes, I know that labyrinth quite well. We dedicated it quite early on, and there's a wonderful uh, ministry down there happening still. 
Yes, well, wasn't I fortunate to be one of the first to be able to partake of it? So that's an interesting um, synchronicity. <laughs> but um, it's, it's understandable which, which, to not recognize it, because once Labyrinth's come into your life, though, you see them everywhere. <laughs> so that helps. It, it, exactly. And you look for them because they're so special, and it's fun to walk a new one. Yes, that's right. So, uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, Would you I, I don't know, and maybe this is a good time to mention, we have on our Veritatos website uh, the Worldwide Labyrinth Locator. And so you can go on the website, there's a database there that people can locate a labyrinth, just put your state in, or don't do too narrow of a search, not one zip code area, but, you know, an area um, you, uh, in, in your town or your city or, or your, your state, and you can come up with however many labyrinths are in that area. And people are always surprised that there's so many. Yes, and there are more and more that I keep discovering and hearing about. Uh, So would you explain to us what happens in the labyrinth? I think that a sacred energy field gets created, but um, there's kind of a, a methodology of when you walk in, when you're in the center, and then when you walk out. Would you talk to us a little bit about what happens? Sure, sure. Because, uh, first of all, it's very important for the listeners to know that the labyrinth is open to anyone. And you can be a Christian, a Buddhist, or a person with no tradition whatsoever, uh, because we describe the process in what we call the three R's, releasing, receiving, and returning. And so you simply walk in. And as you're walking in and you know that it's a labyrinth, not a maze, so it's not a cognitive puzzle, you're able just to kind of come home to yourself. Uh, and the important thing about walking the labyrinth is to follow your natural pace, your natural pace, you know, not the pace you think you should go. And so in the releasing stage, which, of course, these, this is just a thumbnail sketch, Paula, you know, and you can release anywhere in the labyrinth. But as you kind of find your pace and come home to yourself, you know, the everyday little mind, chattering mind usually falls away quite quickly. And then you're in that place of a quiet place, a quiet mind, uh, a sense of spaciousness opens up. Uh, it's helpful to use your breath at that point to really just breathe deeply and let yourself kind of what we would describe as dropping in. Um, and then you're, uh, and sometimes people uh, are tearful in, in releasing. Uh, sometimes people feel deep gratitude. It's unique to each person, which is one of the things I love about the labyrinth. Eventually you find your way to center, which would be um, you've emptied so you can receive and whatever you receive, I have no idea. I mean, it's, again, unique to each person. But sometimes people just have a great sense of peace and calm overcome them. Uh, other people uh, hear a, a voice, actually. I mean, no kidding, a, a guiding, gentle voice. Um, other people feel uh, a, a sense of um, an answer coming to them, not knowing quite what the question is. So it's unique to everyone. And people sit down in the labyrinth or stand, stay there as long as you want. And then you follow the same path back out, and that's the return. And there's a lot of reflection that happens on that. It's like taking what you've received back out into the world. Uh, And there's a strange sense of strengthening, of clarity, of kind of having it come together. Um, So that's, that's how we teach it, the three R's, releasing, receiving, returning. 
Yes, and, and I think each time, not only is it unique to each person, but at least my experience was each time it was different depending upon where I was emotionally and mentally at, at that moment. Right. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah, you're bringing the person, the walker, is bringing the raw material. Um, so we're just offering this kind of thumbnail sketch, but... Uh, and it's often a surprise to people as well because they think they might go in to work on a certain issue and a whole another one pops up, uh, but perhaps deeper. It's like peeling levels uh, you know, of the onion kind of uh, thing. But um, something new comes up, a memory. Uh, they remember a dream that they can work with in the labyrinth. And see, what I think what the labyrinth does, it, it takes you to that one mind, as you were talking about it. It takes you to that feeling of connectedness to every, everyone and everything. And uh, I would use the word, instead of one mind, uh, inner wisdom. Uh, uh, mind has that quality of thinking. And this, is a, this allows you, the labyrinth allows you to draw on a, a, our deep wisdom resources that each of us have inside of us. Yes, I I would um, I agree with what you're saying in terms of really being able to hear what I sometimes call my own voice and yes inner wisdom and I also find that sometimes who I'm in the labyrinth with can make a difference in uh, that there are no accidents uh-huh. that it's there's always something and. In one of the retreats before uh, yesterday, I was rereading some of my notes that I wrote, and it was somebody I had made a note which I had forgotten until uh, you know I just read this was that somebody said, "I'm always so happy when you're in the labyrinth with me because you're always smiling." Mm-hmm. And that that was the time in my life when I wasn't smiling much outside of the labyrinth. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so it was really interesting to hear the feedback and to know that that was in me. Yeah. And there were times when I'd be in the center and suddenly sunlight would break through the clouds. Mm-hmm. Or I'd hear a, a voice from somebody who was walking past with a message that was important for me, even though they were talking to their friend. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. See, I think that's the beautiful offering, and it has a sense of the, the one mind quality that we're all connected, that that spirit and, and soul are trying to speak to us in any way we can listen. And what the labyrinth does is quiet the chattering, you know, as the Buddhists say, the monkey mind. And it allows us to come into a place where we're open to receive what the universe is offering to us. And, and it sounds like you're offering an example of that, uh, that what people say or uh, the way, like, just like you said earlier, the way people treat one another and and the labyrinth is is really kind of a, a nuclear free zone in a way it's it's a place where people can be themselves uh, that w- you walk in your own pace you're synchronizing your thoughts and your feelings your bodily sensations uh and what that does is takes us to a new territory takes us to a new land within yes and i i was also remembering that when I would get into the center, early on I would start dancing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And it, it very much puzzled me, and yet I had so much fun, so I would let myself do it. But there was no intent of doing that. It was just like I had to. I had no choice. My body was moving separate from my brain. Uh-huh, right. And you were very wise in going with your body. Uh, because we, you know, our brain is so active and it wants to be connected up, linked up to our bodily sensation, our bodily movements. Uh, and see, that's why, uh, Paula, people have a sense of being lost in their journeys, uh, lost in their, in their lives, is that we often are not following our natural impulses. Uh, it might be an impulse to reach out and, and be more compassionate, and then you stop yourself and say, well, maybe that person uh, won't understand what I, my intent is, or we don't speak the same language, so I'm afraid to reach out and touch. That might mean something different in their culture. Uh, you see, so we're, we're, we pretty much truncate our, our spiritual journey, and then we lose our flow. And it sounds like, you know, your body wanted to step into flow. It wanted to dance. And that's not unusual in the labyrinth. Interesting. Well, for me, it then led to dancing Argentine tango years later. Uh But until just now, I missed the connection. It was like a precursor, a, a, a body reminder a physical memory that you like this, you want to do this. And it eventually led to my finding a form of dance that um, is is very special to me and, and continues to be. Good for you. Is that the tango? Yes, Argentine tango, well, which no. brings us to your trip. Tell us. <laughs> well, I'm chuckling at the synchronicity because I had my first and perhaps my last tango dance last week in Argentina. Oh, wow. Oh, I hope not your last. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see, but I'm, I'm just, the, the, the synchronicity is wonderful. Uh, right. We just, we, the Veritas board, which is, uh, Veritas is the not-for-profit I created in 1996. Um, to really be a f- helpful financial container for this worldwide work. And so our board, uh, as volunteers, were down on their hands and knees. We moved a couple tons of stones and made a, a labyrinth in the town square of La Falda in Argentina. Uh, and then we offered a dedication and a, and a healing ritual uh, that the townspeople were very happy and very grateful to receive a labyrinth. And they kept walking by all week, seeing us work for literally from 9 to about, oh, dusk sometimes um, to create this labyrinth and then gift it to the town. And, and that's amazing what... What you're talking about, about a community coming together for healing. Yes, yes. It's fascinating. I mean, most communities um, in that town or that city, most people probably knew one another. Uh, But it it had a history, and it does have a history of of, um, being involved with... uh, offering housing, I guess, both to, both to the Jewish community during the Second World War, but also to some of the Nazi, uh, uh, what, later to be criminals. Um, and so they're really coming out from that history and finding uh, themselves on new footing. And, and, and as a tourist city, and oh, is it beautiful. The countryside is beautiful. It's nestled in the mountains. Uh, and so 
a wonderful place to be, but they're really trying to struggle with who they are. And that's why we offered the gift of the labyrinth. How beautiful. Uh, you know, I think there's something to be learned for everyone uh, from that. There really is. I mean, that's the piece that I think is so important about the one mind concept or, you know, your inner wisdom is that, you know, when our, when our, um, when we're in the way of seeing what the world really offers, and you could call that a, you know, an ego state, or, and, and to me, the word ego is not necessarily negative, but we can get in our own way with our own judgments, our own ways of seeing things without realizing there's a bigger picture there. Um, and so offering uh, the labyrinth, and that's what the labyrinth often does, is help us drop that, um, the filters that we carry, and to open our eyes, literally, to a bigger world. And, and I'm wondering, and this may be a, a good time to take a break, if you'd be willing to stay with us. Do you sure. have time? Mm-hmm, sure, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So let's go to break now, and then we can pick up this idea of healing, because I think there's a message there maybe even for families, for couples, um, that, that where people can come together and use the labyrinth in um, for purposes of healing. So thank you. Please stay with us. We'll be back with um, our special guest, Reverend Dr. Lauren Artris. change the seventh wave channel on the voice america network being outside the box is your thrival guide to living outside this reality are you always waiting for your ship to come in do problems happen to you what if you created your life rather than sitting by waiting do you live in the fantasies of this reality winning the lottery waiting for your prince princess to come even being healthy Do you always do what is expected of you rather than choosing for you? What if the rules didn't apply, and what if you could thrive from a different space? Join host Lynn Waldrop for tools to being outside the box. Listen Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are...
are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Thank you for staying with us. And we're here with Reverend Dr. Lauren Archis talking about the labyrinth. We were beginning to talk about uh, using it for healing for the self and then for groups as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, it's such a... I, I often describe uh, the labyrinth, Paula, as a, a kind of like a string bass. Uh, you know, it can go in a symphony, it can go in a jazz band, it can go in a string quartet. It, it's very um, appropriate in many different environments. And, and that's why, like you were mentioning, that labyrinths can be in city parks and they can be in hospitals, uh, they're in prisons, they're in spas, uh, all of these very different places, uh, elementary schools all the way up to college. Um, and so what it does is it offers, yes, the individual a place to really kind of take a time out and a time in, I guess is the, both, of the, the, both of those words. You can take a time in to quiet, to reflect on life, uh, to really open your heart. And I actually think that's why uh, labyrinths are so profound, that once the mind quiets and you start getting the bigger picture that we're all walking the path together. In fact, that the fact, just like Teilhard de Chardin said so many years ago, that we're not only human beings on a spiritual path, we're spiritual beings on a human path. And in the labyrinth, you get that. You really get that big picture uh, often. And so, so if you have that sense, then all of a sudden you can drop back into another place of compassion, of open-mindedness, of flow, of allowing what to emerge, what wants to emerge, to emerge. And um, that's as, as for communities as well. Because once you're in that place and you realize, yes, look at us, look at, we're all here together, we're all spiritual beings on this human path, and then why in the world wouldn't we reach out to one another? Why wouldn't we uh, be kind to one another and compassionate and soft-eyed and lessen our judgments? Uh, and so that happens on both the individual level and the community level uh, when we do dedications and healing rituals and things like that with the labyrinth. And that's actually such a great um, a tool for ritual um, in fact, when we're in Chart, I'll be there at the end of May. We have John Philip Newell with us, and I'm hosting that week. And then the next week, I'm teaching the called the Spirituality of the Labyrinth, the New Emerging Paradigm. And we use the Chart Labyrinth. We have the whole evening, as you may remember. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, in the cathedral, and we do a releasing ritual as we approach the stairs to walk up and enter the labyrinth. And, uh, and that sense of being able to release and let go, the whole community is experiencing that together. Yes, and, and you kind of, you, there's a bonding that goes on. And yes. I think groups, even quote-unquote random groups, 
tend to form together, that the people who are meant to be there and to experience that moment with each other happen to be there at that time. That's right. Uh Uh, That's right. There's that sense of uh, the people who are supposed to be there are there. Um, and, and, and locking the labyrinth together, because it's usually, uh, not always, but usually a nonverbal activity, it, it has a high cohesion for the group. Because in a way, words are where we get in the way of each other, and words are where we wind up misunderstanding another, one another. But if we're walking the labyrinth with an open heart and an open mind, uh, you know, that's what life calls us to do. Yes, and I think that families, um, teams at work, couples, friends, that it can be an opportunity for people to choose to go together and set a common intention uh, for healing or for connectedness or whatever it is that they want to do together in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 then come out deeper, you know, more more closely connected. Or even sometimes, I think, discovering that, you know, what, we really aren't meant to be together. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And to respectfully step away from one another or be directed in another way in your life rather than the way you think the direction you're going in. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, very, I'm remembering a story early on of a family coming and walking the labyrinth in, in Grace Cathedral. And this is the, uh, days of the tapestry, so that would have been ni- after 1994 to 2007. And, um, they came and two young, two boys, probably, oh, 12 and 10, and, uh, parents, and they came, walked it together and then wound up in the center and they were holding each other and deeply, deeply, deeply crying grieving and we later found out that they were there grieving because they needed to put their youngest uh, son into an institution because of his not being able to uh, treat his special needs anymore at home and they came in and uh, the center and just deeply deeply grieved uh, but it moved them beyond that point again that's part of healing you know we Life is sometimes a very tough place to be, and there's a lot of challenges, and the labyrinth can help us move through those very difficult times. Yes, I, I think that that's a profound story, and yes, it doesn't always work out the way our minds or even our hearts would like for it to work out. That's right. But sometimes we have to let go and and move on. That's right. And you were talking about anger earlier. You know, people either stuff it or they run away from it because they're afraid of it, um, or they spew it out onto others. But the real uh, teaching uh, now of uh, all this spiritual work is going in the same direction. What we need to do is feel it. You feel the anger. You don't spew it out. You don't stuff it. You just feel it. And then once we feel it, it transforms. Just like that family finally getting to the place where they could grieve together. Uh, and, and, you know, just feeling that moves you along. It transforms the feeling of grief into something bigger, broader, uh, gentler, more compassionate to everyone who's in that situation. 
I agree with you. And I think that we run into emotional trouble when we don't allow ourselves to feel or when it, it feels too overwhelming. So we stuff it down and then it does damage to us physically or emotionally or mentally. That's right. Um, uh, that's right. Or to others if we spew it out. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so the labyrinth is a safe place to feel. You don't get overwhelmed or um, or risk harming others or self. It is a way to feel and let go in that releasing phase and in that initial phase and, and then listening in the center and then moving out more into who you really are and discovering new parts of yourself that may not manifest for a few years. It's not necessarily, okay, in five minutes I'm going to be that, but something's happening that's drawing you toward it because you've now experienced it and know it. That's right. And I think your story is a very good example of that, that you were going through a transition, you made a difficult choice to leave your workplace and to really start your own, launch your own work into the world. There are so many people, as you know, Paula, who want to do that and are frightened. And with the, lab- the labyrinth sounds like it was a, a, a thread that carried you along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me allow me to let go of all the fears, all the negative experiences from the workplace and from the idea of, you know, who am I if yeah. I'm not that title? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But also, the labyrinth is a great teacher to what do you do? You just simply take the next step. And that really can help people through these very challenging times. Just take the next step. Do what's in front of you. Um, and that gets you through it. Yes. And, and, and I loved what you said about your own pace. because And that's one of the gifts of walking it alone. Sometimes when you're in a large group, you don't have that choice. You have to match the group or the people. Well, the people behind you can walk around you. That's right. As, uh-huh. as I recall. But still, you know, but then you have to learn how to deal with the pressure, the, which is good, too, you know, uh-huh. that I can be me even if someone else is moving faster. So, yes, I forgot that. Well, and, and, you're, and, and the person also is free to step off the path and let people by if that's the case. But you know what it is? It's about developing our own inner container. Uh, You know, we need wisdom within. We need our souls to be speaking to us. And that requires us building an inner chamber within our own being. Uh, So, And I think walking the labyrinth in a group is a very helpful experience to develop that. But if you're feeling crowded or, or, um, you know, not able to meditate in the traditional way, uh, what I advise is to meditate on the people you're walking the labyrinth with. Uh, it's a soft-eyed meditation. You're, you're there, you're soft-eyed, you're beholding the people who are walking with you. Uh, and, and that helps not only create that inner container of quiet, but it also is, again, brings you into one mind. It's a collective activity that we're all doing together. Well, and you're using the word meditation reminds me, too, that it's, a walking meditation that many people 
aren't able to sit or don't know which kind of meditation to use, who to learn from, and so on. Mm-hmm. But the the labyrinth is a way of meditating and being with your own thoughts and hearing that one mind, that inner voice. Yes, that's right. That's right. It certainly is. And and uh, And I think people may not understand that before they walk into the labyrinth sometimes, but you see people uh, walking the labyrinth, finding their pace, coming home to themselves, and then Yes, indeed, they really do get it. You know, they really do understand that that we're all people walking a path and we're all sharing the space of this planet together. Um, and how important that is to learn how to really do that with compassion and graciousness. Absolutely. That's beautifully said. And I just, we're um, going to wrap up with this last question, and that is, how has this impacted you personally in, in most in the most meaningful way? Well, it's it's changed my life entirely. Uh, when I first connected to the labyrinth, I was uh, still a canon pastor at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, and then I had, thank heavens, the freedom to kind of reinvent myself and be canon for special ministries there, um, and then allow myself to do, do this work in the world. And when I see the labyrinths at Grace Cathedral, which are so beautifully done, there's one indoors and outdoors, both the Chart style, um, and how many people walk and walk them weekly, uh, it really gives me a sense of, of uh, I don't know, a sense that, okay, I'm, I'm fulfilling my mission. I'm, I'm doing the work that I'm here to do on this planet. And thank you for doing it, and thank you for being here with us. I truly am grateful, and I hope people do take advantage of the labyrinth and also your workshops, and especially Shard. If you can do it, I highly recommend it. Thank you, Thank Paula. you, Lauren. Thank you so much. Okay. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. And, um... I also want to thank all of you for tuning in and being with us. If you have enjoyed uh, today, please like us on Facebook. And I hope you tune in next week to hear Dr. Bernie Siegel. Um, He was one of my teachers. He didn't know it, but he was one of my mentors 26 years ago when I read his books, and it opened up new doorways for me and new ways of seeing things and thinking. So it's also going to be exciting for me to bring him to you next week. Um, I would like to take this moment just to remind you how special this is for me to be able to do this and to share these wonderful people with you who come on to the show as my guest. Thank you for joining us and remember you are loved. Thank you for tuning in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Please join Dr. Paula Joyce and her guest experts next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until then, have a positive week.